HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. Dan Glickberg here from Fairway Market reminding you that while Thanksgiving is about family, friends, and great food, it's also about giving to those in need. We're donating over 2,500 turkeys this holiday, but all it takes is a can of vegetables to your local food bank or some time at your local soup kitchen. Happy Thanksgiving. Boys, I'm mellow as a honeydew. Yeah. That cat is high. Look that look in his eye. Oh, man, he's high. Yes, higher than a kite. Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm your host, Damon Bolte. Today in the studio, it's been a long time coming, and I'm very happy to have friend, author, amazing bartender, Jim Meehan from PDT in New York City. Welcome to the show, Jim. Good afternoon, Damon. It's nice to have you here. It's great to be here at Roberta's. It's always great to be here at Roberta's. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so, we have a lot to talk about, obviously. Um, you have a lot to talk about. <laughs> I have a lot to listen to. Um, but for for our uh, listening audience, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about the book that just came out, uh, the PDT Cocktail Book. I just wrote a book. Uh, I guess I've been writing it for many years. It's called the PDT Cocktail Book, uh, the celebrated or the Bartender's Guide to the Celebrated Speakeasy. Uh, it's out on Sterling Books, mm-hmm. uh, which is a actually an offshoot uh, owned by Barnes and Noble. So oh, wow. great distribution. Uh, it's a it's a bartender's guide. It has uh, 304 recipes, a number of our hot dogs, a spirits guide, a tools. Uh, guide. It's just a sort of, it's a book that's uh, based on sort of old bartender's guide from the late 19th and early, early 20th century. It's cool because like when you, when you flip through the pages, you've got like some of the classic stuff that you'll see in, uh, you know, like the flowing bowl and uh, Harry, Harry Craddock's books and stuff like that. Like the first thing I mean with that is that you have a diagram yeah. The diagrams of the bar layout, which is really cool. No one really does that anymore. Yeah, you know what? I was when I even when I opened PDT, um, one of the things that I've always done when I've been thinking about projects that I want to work on is what I'll I'll write down ten things that I love about, say, five places that 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 I would love to incorporate and into what I do. And and when I when I actually wrote the book proposal, things like a, a 
you know, a diagram for how to set up a bar or, you know, the books that got me interested in cocktails were Dale DeGroff's Craft of the Cocktail, Gary Regan's Joy of Mixology and Ted Hayes' Vintage Spirits and Forgotten Cocktails. And what really kind of kept me going was their, their bibliographies, but their bibliographies would be, you know, anywhere from, you know, 20 to 50 books, but they didn't tell you what 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 was cool about those 50 books and I went on eBay and bought a lot of them and overspent on books that I didn't need and and you know obviously found a great a bunch of gems in the in the in the works as well but what I for my book I did an annotated bibliography so basically I took I made a list of things that I thought were were needed and were great about the old books and then tried to do my own little spin on them yeah and that's great and and we're gonna get to uh some of that here in a little bit, especially with the artwork, I'd love to talk about it for a while. But um, before we get to that, uh, you're talking about the hot dogs. Right, let's let's go back a little bit. Let's talk about the opening of PDT and where this all came from. Uh, it's interesting. I I opened the Pegu Club um, in God. Uh, my memory is a little bit wet. Um, <laughs> Pegu Club was seven years ago, so we opened in around 2004, I believe, or 2005. Uh, at the time, I was working at Gramercy Tavern. Audrey Saunders let me keep my full-time job at uh, at Gramercy and work one night a week at, at Pegu, where I sort of moonlight, moonlighted. And you worked sh- with my buddy Julian Brizzi. Exactly. <laughs> I worked with Julian over at, at GT, which who is amazing. Um, Ridiculous to you. <laughs> and yeah, so I, I moved to New York in, in 2002. I met a guy who was a regular of mine at my first bar, Five Points. Mm-hmm. Uh, his name was Chris Antista, and he opened up Criff Dogs with Brian Shabero in 2001. Um, obviously, Chris, I worked at Five Points for two years. Chris and I got along quite well. And while I was in my sort of twilight of Pegu Club, uh, after being there for a couple years, I was working with Sinjin Frizzell now, who oh, yeah. um, is, has his own nice little place Defiance. He's yeah, been on the show. in Red Hook. Um, Chris was at Fort. Def- or he was at actually. Sinjin was at the the Good Fork at that time right in Red Hook. Street from Linnells. And exactly. So Chris was at the bar, at Sinjin's bar at the Good Fork, and had mentioned my name. And Sinjin said, "Wait a sec, you say Jamie?" And Chris was like, "Yeah." And he's like, "Well, I work with him at the Pegu Club." So Chris came to visit Sinjin and I at the Pegu Club and said, "Hey, you know, I'm I'm working on this project with Brian from Criff Dogs, and it, it's a cocktail bar, and we really could use." some help you know we were building the bar but we don't really know how to run a cocktail bar and at the time the pegu club was you know there were very few sort of great cocktail bars in new york and and there was more work to be done than people to do it so uh i told chris i'd come check it out i've lived in the east village my entire time i've lived in new york now a little over nine years and i went to check out the space which at the time was it was built out um the bar was sort of in place the booths were there but it was sort of like a shell um and i Long story short, got got on with Brian and Chris quite well, and have have been with them ever since. I started out working as a consultant and have kind of uh, gone on to become the general manager and a shareholder in the bar. So um, the place is attached via a phone booth, a vintage phone booth, uh, and we have a, a little window behind the bar that connects to the the counter Criff Dogs. So we've served Criff Dogs at PDT from day one, and it, it started out being the sort of signature dogs of Criff Dogs. Um, Don Lee and John Darragon got Dave Chang to agree to, to let us serve a drink with his kimchi called the Chang Dog. That was the cheese that sort of brought in some of the best chefs in downtown New York and the interest of other chefs around the world. And it's just been this kind of, you know, fun collaboration between Crypt Dogs and PDT, but also 
between PDT and a lot of local chefs downtown. And and you know, Wy- in Wiley Dufresne, one of them. Wiley Dufresne yeah. has had his hot dog on his menu for Which, on our menu for years. Congratulations to him. He was on The Simpsons. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I just I just saw Dewey on Avenue B, and I was saying. I forget what I was congratulating him for that Wiley had recently done, and and Dewey said that his son being on The Simpson was perhaps the greatest, <laughs> like most proud moment as his father that he could ever have. That's so, awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's unbelievable. But the you know the five years ago, almost five years ago, when we opened PDT, the East Village was besides Momofuku was a bit of a wasteland for food, and and obviously WD Fifty has been open and Wiley's been cooking um, down there for a long time, but it's. You know, Clinton Street is a bit further from the East Village, and, and to make a long story short, what's what's happened in the last five years in the East Village is it's just been incredible. Absolutely, in 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 the entire city, actually. I mean, it's just it's crazy. Well, it's crazy. not even including what's going on in Brooklyn. Yeah, dude. I, 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 you know, the first time I went to PDT, um, I can't remember, I can't really remember who it was there, but one of the things that, oh, I, I do remember. Uh, my friend Victoria was working there for a second. Um, and so I go in, and I was kind of, kind of weirded out. I met up with uh, my buddy Adam Harris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love Adam Harris for uh, Maker's Mark. And I miss you, Adam. Yeah, I miss him too. <laughs> he's down in Austin, so he's doing okay. But um, he uh, like he invited me over, and I just I I was kind of blown away because I'd been to Pegu Club and I'd been to you know like Flatiron and all these places, Death and Company. And the first time I went to PDT, I was a little confused just because of the 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 aesthetic of it is so different than it's got that classic cocktail like speakeasy kind of vibe but there's definitely some twists and turns to it you know like like the bathroom is covered with like you walk into like a disco ball yeah well what i i think brian um who's chris is long but not involved and brian and i uh now run the place together but what Brian and Chris did when they when they were opening the place, if you look closely, the ceiling is very similar to the ceiling at Death & Co., but, they, but it's the herringbone pattern ceiling of Death & Co. Or yeah. the booths are very similar to Milk & Honey, but they're bigger and more plush and sort of uh, quite amazing. The you know, op, you know, exposed brick and a beautiful wood floor, and the bar is very based on like sort of classic uh, Irish bar tavern design. But I think those little touches, like the you know Jim Powers did the the mo- the famous East Village mosaic artist mm-hmm. did our bathrooms, and Brian had his friend Dwight create this little strange urban riotous scene that's like nestled in the floor right by the sort of front door, and there are all these little things that I think uh, are are like it, PD- PDT and Crypt Dogs. There's this sort of energy between both places that. They sort of they're like opposites of each other, and I think Brian and I are also. He's he's a ton of fun and relaxed, and and he's he brings that energy. And I'm a bit more intense and come from these more serious places and bring that energy. And I think together, maybe what you notice is like these two sort of energies kind of colliding. And, yeah. and I think what we tried to do when we opened uh, is, and I know it seems strange now because now we're more well known for our rigorous uh, etiquette. Uh, code than for our being relaxed but you know when we opened we wore butcher's aprons and jeans and we played tribe called quest and rock and roll and we really tried to loosen up the sort of like prohibition era speakeasy vibe that was at the time was important uh because bars had become a free-for-all but we tried to sort of like do our own little spin on it that related to my personality and brian's personality cool and i i 
the whole time we're talking, I just keep thinking about those tater tots. It's driving me insane. Yeah. Um, Deep fried. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Um, so when when you got started off, what, what was the you, you were just talking about the uh, like the way you were trying to present the vibe? Like, who were some of the other people that were that started out with you there? Uh, it, well, at it was at that time. Death and Co had opened, I think, five months before PDT opened, and as I said, there were more there was more need for cocktail bars than there were actual cocktail bartenders. Sure. Um, <clears throat> and we we you know a bunch of a bunch of the bartenders at Pego had just gone to open Death and Co, um, and then I mean Sasha for for the life of all of his businesses, he doesn't really lose employees or or no one really leaves Sasha. He just opens up another bar and and kind of gives one yeah. of his great bartenders, uh, a, you know, gives <laughs> becomes their partner. So yeah. really smart. Uh, so at the time it was crazy. I two of my bar regulars, John Darragon and Don Lee. Uh, who'd been coming to Pegu Club for years, we went to Cocktails in the Country together, which was this oh, yeah. um, sort of cocktail summer camp Gary Regan had. And at the time, like I think a week before that, the entire staff from Death & Company wanted to go, but they would have had to close Death & Company. So John and Don, being completely insane, were like, well, we'll just we'll just work while you guys go to Cocktails in the Country. And I, I was like, are you kidding me? Death & Co. has like 40 drinks on their menu and like 30 bottles of bitters and 60 syrups on top of the bar. How on earth are you going to like run Death and Co. while Phil and Brian and Joaquin and everybody are in in the Hudson Valley? And they they did it. They ran Death and Co. for two nights. And I said, look, you know, I know this is this may sound crazy to you, but I'm opening this bar and I need great staff. Would you be interested in in joining me? So John and Don came on as my sort of managers. Uh, a coworker of mine who opened Del Posto, David Slape, came on. Uh, I brought in. Um, Michael Madrasan, who uh, has gone and now opened the Everly in Melbourne, Australia, but he joined. It was kind of Artemio Vasquez, who was our bar back at Pegu, who had, who had sort of left Pegu, was available. So it was a bit of a, it was like, you know, the founding of the, you know, Australia. You know, it was sort of all these sort of uh, people who were, you know, either in between jobs or only had a couple shifts and needed more. Uh, we opened the place and Jane Danger was there and, and just, uh, it was really amazing i wanted to open i didn't want to make a big splash i i wasn't sure what was going to happen on saint mark's place but i just wanted to have great cocktails in a great environment and, and have it be fun and the place just started taking off it's great man yeah it's great and you know uh getting back to the book a little bit um we were talking right before the show about how you know exactly the same vibe that you were trying to put out with pdt it really shows up in this book you know rather than being that like 19th century speakeasy style like where where it's kind of stuffy and like yeah. you kind of feel nervous like you know a normal person walks in they feel kind of nervous like what am i supposed to do here and- right right i think that you know it's it's hard to imagine right now but when when i was at the pegu club and before that i mean i remember working at gramercy tavern which is one of the best restaurants in the in the city and it's just it's it's an institution and having customers throwing peanuts at me and whistling at me to come and serve them and i remember when i was at P, at pegu club people approached me like i was this great sushi chef and I, and i think what what's happened um in the last three to five years is bartenders have gone from being sort of like your personal butler while before you get to the dining room to being the person you may go see and may have dinner with and exchange uh, knowledge and pleasantries with. So um, I guess I could get lost in this. But what was very 
different about bartending then and bartending now is this this sort of there was this sort of the bartender versus the customer in back in the day and it took a long i remember at at pegu people would order a gin gin mule and say but can i have this with vodka or they would order they basically any single thing they ordered they say but can you make it with vodka and we would just have to be like no we cannot make it with vodka and some bars didn't even stock vodka because they would they would love to kind of throw that in their face and i think what what has happened thankfully since then is that you know, people don't even order vodka anymore at PDT. They just order what's on the menu and trust that it's going to be good. So I think that PDT, I've always tried to sort of dampen that that battle between the customer and the and the and the guest. And thankfully, there really isn't a battle anymore. But back four and a half years ago when we opened, it was you know it was a, it was a bit of a stretch to you know serve some of the stuff we served. Sure, I mean like. I mean, you do have a vodka drink on the menu, though. You we actually the now course. have, like, at one point I had four vodka drinks, and now I think I have two or three. But I think it you know, it got to a certain point where I feel like there were so many bartenders who were against or, vodka. Like the backlash, yeah. The backlash and the bartenders who were against vodka were never the ones who had to fight for gin or fight for rum or fight for tequila or whiskey. So I think it's important that, you know, as someone who was on the front line of getting people to switch from vodka to gin to bring vodka back and say, you know, not every vodka, the vodkas we started working with are Carlson's or distilled, you know, flavored distilled vodkas like hanger ones and vodkas that are actually worth all of us talking about and mixing with. Um, So it's, I think that part of being a tastemaker in this world is tasting. And, And I think that a lot of the times people get caught up in their own, their own sort of like glory and forget that that it's their job to sort of taste through everything and find out what's good and what's not good and and serve that to their customers yeah i was gonna say it also comes down to a point of like customer service you are in the service industry it's like yeah you got to find things that you think your customers will dig yeah totally um but you know going back to those those days you know it's like i i like what you're saying about that like of course i don't like that people were throwing peanuts at you or whatever, but, no, but, it, but I mean, uh, yeah, it's definitely, there's been like a shift in respect, um, for bartenders yeah. because of the art of it. And, you know, going back to what I was g- going to say a second ago about the book is like, it's, it's a really, it's a work of art, you know? And it, it has that total like 90, 19th century, you know, cocktail book layout, but it doesn't look like it. It's got the vibe of it, but, I mean, the guy that you collaborated with, Chris Gall, the artist, uh, most people will know his artwork from, he had a spread in uh, most uh, Subway posters. Yeah. And he's illustrated the hell out of this book. I yeah. Mean, I, there's I, so I many illustrations. I have a ton of the illustrations, but it's probably close to 300. I mean, it's about just, as many illustrations as there are cocktail recipes. Absolutely. And there's, there's, I think every page has an illustration and there's 370 pages. So, I guess the, the bibliography does and there's a few pages that don't, but it's, well over 300 illustrations, and, and I think he absolutely nailed it. Um, absolutely, man. We partnered on the book, uh, and he, you know, just from the moment, you know, I, I was sitting on the subway one day, and I, 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 had, I had been talking to other illustrators, and I couldn't find the right person. And I looked up at his fish, and I was like, you know what, that's exactly the style of art I'm looking for in my book. I went home and Googled him, and it's funny, you know, Google image search didn't exist back before. I mean, it's, it's like such a new thing, but I Googled him. I found his website. I loved his work. He had a contact info and I contacted him and I said, I know this sounds crazy, but I'm working on a cocktail book proposal 
and your work is exactly what I'm looking for. I can give you more information, but would you mind letting me know if this is something you'd be interested in? And he emailed me the next morning and said, do you mean something like the Savoy cocktail book? I have a first edition. And I said, we have to meet. Yeah, exactly. And he came to New York. Uh, he has an agent in New York and a, and a big book deal with Little Brown. He's actually now, a, he used to be, he's been illustrated for 25 years. And back before photography kind of took over, he did work with, you know, The New Yorker and with The New York Times, and Wall Street Journal, back, and back when everyone used illustrations. Uh, but now he's focused on children's books. So he has... He comes to town quite regularly. We met. We went out for drinks. I took him to Death and & Co. and Milk and & Honey and PDT and took him out to all the old Macau famous. and yeah. sort of kind of showed him all the places. And uh, we agreed to sort of partner 50-50 on the book. And uh, it's just he did a little uh, sort of teaser book that we used to shop publishers. And thankfully, my um, his agent, George uh, Nichols, found uh, Sterling, who... My pub, my editor Carla Devito just happens to be like insane for for publishing beautiful books that sort of have different feels. He showed us uh, an Escar style handbook that was uh, the dust jacket. The cover of the book was made from wool suiting. You know, I mean, he just loves making beautiful books. Yeah. So uh, you know, we really found the right publisher. The publisher got behind us, and Chris Chris really did a great job. It was amazing. Awesome. And it's a beautiful book, and it's for sale everywhere. Well, unfortunately, <laughs> they didn't they didn't print enough copies. So, oh no! So we actually sold out. Of you the already first, sold out. We sold out of the wow. first printing about two weeks ago. But but to you know the caveat there is Barnes and Noble bought a lot of them, thousands of them. So we're not sold out at Barnes and Noble, but Amazon, for instance, where most people buy their books now. Right. Is out of stock. Uh, so right now, congratulations. Yeah, well, it's <laughs> I mean, sort it of. Sucks, it's but not. Yeah, it's not a good thing because it's the holidays and people are buying. Yeah. I mean, I have uh, friends who are buying them by the dozen because they, awesome. they go down to fifteen bucks a piece. You know, so yeah. it's a really kind of affordable gift to give for the holidays. And uh, so basically, Greg Bohm from Cocktail Kingdom has mm-hmm. them. Barnes and Noble has them. If you go to the stores, and Amazon should have them back in stock by around December fifth. Cool. Well, um, we're going to take a quick break, and then when we come back, we're going to talk more about the book. But also, I want to talk to you a little bit more in depth about uh, some of the other projects you've worked on and some of the stuff that you're working on in the future. Cool. Thank you. Cool. We'll be right back. Hmm. 
we're back. You're listening to The Speakeasy. I'm Damon Bolte. In the studio today, we've been talking with Jim Meehan about the PDT cocktail book, PDT The Bar, and Chris Gall, the artist that helped you out with the uh, the book. Yeah. He's the illustrator, and we were just looking through the book on the break, and it's, it's cool, because every, every illustration you find some little, like, Easter egg, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's really cool. Um, so, leading up to this book, you were... You had several writing projects. I mean, you were, um, you did the uh, the Mister Boston cocktail book. Yeah, it. My the first person who ever published my work with it was Anthony Giglio. Um, Anthony, I guess the elephant in the room is that my brother is Peter Meehan, who uh, he uh, wrote the Five Points Brunch Cookbook, and I my first job was at Five Points, and then he went on to work with. He wrote the Frankie's cookbook. Yeah, he wrote, he wrote the Frankie's the cookbook. Book. He wrote Momofuku, and now he's partners with Dave and Lucky Peach. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Pete, so Peter has been. Ironically, when before I got to New York, Peter was in PR, where he would have been incredibly useful to me. But as soon as I got to New York, he left PR <laughs> uh, to work for the New York Times as a as a critic, which was actually um, terrible for me. So, because a lot of times he was out <laughs> criticizing the restaurants I was working in, but. Uh, so yeah, Peter actually helped get me in, has helped introduce me to a lot of writers. Uh, I when Rob Willie, a friend of mine who edited the first two editions of the Food and Wine Cocktail Book, uh, left to go to details. Pete and Kate Crater emailed me and said, "Hey, would you ever be interested in editing the Food and Wine Cocktail Book?" And I was like, "Yeah." So um, I started doing that in 2007. Uh, and at, before that, Anthony Giglio, who published me in Cocktails in New York, a Rizzoli book he did many years ago. Uh, asked me initially to help just with recipes uh, for the uh, for the platinum edition of Mr. Boston's and before that in, in another red guide. And then we, we worked together really well and then we ended up doing another red book together and then um, we we worked on the summer drinks book and the holiday cocktails book. So uh, yeah, I've, I've basically helped put together now however many that is, like nine cocktail books and have learned a ton from working with Anthony and with Food and Wine and Kate Crater. And it, it definitely, that that experience was hugely influential in this book. Yeah, absolutely. You got your practice in. A lot of practice. <laughs> a lot of practice. A lot of practice. And it's so cool because, you know, the way, and I don't mean to be too flattering or anything, but, you I know, to I've got this, as soon as you say it. I've got this on my shelf next to my uh, Mr. Boston book. And most people only know, like, I mean, I say most people, but I'm kind of just throwing it out there. But I, it, a lot of people, it, when they think about a cocktail book, the first thing they think of is the only cocktail book maybe they've ever seen, which is the Mr. Boston yeah. cocktail book. Which is why it was so cool to work on that project. I had to have been, you know, I mean, especially that being such a classic book, and that's the one that every dive bar has, right. even, you know. Yeah. Um, it must have been cool to work on that. And then, you know, obviously, like, having the, the influence from a lot of classic cocktail books, uh, books which I'm sure you have shelves yeah. and shelves of. Probably some of your shelves. Well, mine have booze hidden behind them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, I mean, it's it's just such a cool opportunity to get to do this. And it's really cool nowadays that so many bartenders are that influential as influential as you are i mean i mean but a lot of them strive to be that way you know and like you being like an award-winning bartender you know you you got the award at tells the cocktail a couple years ago for best bartender in the world you got you know pdt multiple awards best bar in the world um not and i'm not trying to like 
like <laughs> well what's interesting it, and we were really we were cool. talking about this earlier it, i never realized this you know for years i felt like i had this this book that i've been working on and the sort of food and wine and mr boston were almost like running marathons to sort of prepare myself for my race mm-hmm. and when i went to put together the pro- proposal the big surprise to me was that whether or not my book proposal was good or not wasn't that was a big part of it obviously maybe 50% of it mm-hmm. but the other 50% was Who's your audience? Who's going to buy this book? Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, if they're going to invest all this money in you writing it and then printing it, they need to sell it. So I think what what I I never I don't take those awards. I'm flattered by those awards, and I, I get excited for like one second, and then I shut it off and put it in the black box for the therapist later on in my life. You know, <laughs> and it's just. Um, but what the, the awards helped, you know, and and I think that you know nowadays we have this Facebook and Twitter era, and I'm not on either, but. The amount of Twitter follows you have could actually greatly influence whether or not you could write a book or not, which I don't think is fair, but it's just true. And I think that for all the the bartenders out there who do have something to say and do have a book in them and who have been putting together the proposal, the one thing that I didn't know before I put this together was it's really important to, you know, if you've been published uh, before to make sure you can try to quantify how many people bought it or where you did you know readings for it or who picked it up if you've been uh in in the media like if you've ever been featured in an article save the article uh if you have thousand twitter follows put that into your book proposal and and the more you can position yourself as someone who has an audience the easier it is it'll be for bartenders to you know a blog for instance is something that's incredibly useful to to sell a book and these are things that you know i just didn't know when i put this together how many copies did you initially run they ran ten thousand. and one thing that you know as i said my brother i think and he and dave have sold a hundred thousand copies of the momofuku cookbook which is obviously uh you know if you start comparing yourself to dave chang it's going to be a really sad (laughs) sad sad time for you i think he was also on that simpsons episode i'm sure he was he was just yeah dave is dave is an incredible he's a he's a good friend he he blurbed the back of the book and you know obviously he's family but um i had no idea how many books was a good was a good amount of books to sell for a cocktail book i was recently traveling with toby cicchini who wrote cosmopolitan and dave wonder who's written you know imbibe and and punch and numerous other books but um i guess twenty five thousand copies is a great you know sort of number of books to sell for a cocktail book and i guess in a year so We've I, we believe we've sold through that first printing, and the next one will be hopefully be available by December fifth. So, so um, I have no idea what to expect, though. You know, it's something. Yeah. Greg Bohm is selling it on Cocktail Kingdom, and you know, years ago there was no Cocktail Kingdom, and Greg ships internationally. So, one thing that's very exciting is I feel like we're just bartenders. You know, the the James Beard Foundation, for instance, is just. You know, this year they're going to award uh, like a best cocktail program. And I don't sure. know if they're going to just do one or they'll do it regionally. But I feel like bartenders and, and cocktails are finally becoming part of the sort of mainstream culinary world. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the, the one thing that I've always noticed or that I've been noticing lately is that, you know, when all these cooking shows and food shows came on, in the very beginning they were really bad. Yeah. They were really hokey. Yeah. And just the worst well now, but if now you look back really though awesome i mean i remember food. julia child she oh was, yeah sure she was sort of like the harry carry of cooking <laughs> shows i mean you watch i grew up in chicago listening to the cubs and it's like by the seventh inning Car- harry carry was slurring so badly that like he <laughs> sort of he would disappear and steve stone would finish the game and julia child's had to have had like a bottle of burgundy before she did oh, every yeah, show absolutely. i mean she was good and 
good and drunk. And and I think that like those shows were amazing. But I would agree the shows in the last few years they're boring. Well, they, Sandra Lee likes to make herself an yeah. actor martini and sort of get crazy every once in a while. But that's not really not good. But, that's not but, good television. Yeah, but I think I think we're gonna hit. I think it's going to start hitting its stride, you know, like yeah. with cocktail shows or drink shows, you know, anything, you know. A lot of it is about finding the right person. And exactly. I think there are some but people also- on television right now who do not represent us. But they're, as as we move forward, I, I heard uh, Tony and Charlotte did another Iron Chef. They were filming while we were at Tales. Oh, cool. So I think if people like Charlotte, Wazzy, and Tony Abuganum get to be you know, speak for what we do, then we're all in really good shape. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you have any uh, any more TV appearances coming up anytime there, soon? I don't want to jinx myself, um, <laughs> but there's a chance that a show that I was on might have me back soon, which I would be really excited to do. Um, and my publicist, Kim Yorio, is doing a great job. She's, I think she, she so she, we'll see what happens. I, I'm not like, it's funny, I'm sitting with you on the radio show and you have the perfect voice for radio. And I, and I feel like certain takes people... lots of bourbon and cigarettes. Lots of bourbon and cigarettes. I don't <laughs> smoke any cigarettes, but I do drink a lot of bourbon. But... Uh, you know, I think that like for me, this book was a perfect uh, vehicle for me to talk about what I what I'm doing because I love writing, or I'm not good at, it, but I like doing it. Whereas some people are great on TV, so um, I'll wing it if uh, given the opportunity <laughs> to go speak to anyone. But uh, nothing nothing firm yet. Before the show, we were talking about the uh, the creation of this book, and you were talking about how exactly what you just said uh, that you do like writing, you enjoy it quite a bit. But you didn't want to come out with the Jim Meehan cocktail book first. So I think this is a really cool, like we were talking about, like practicing, you know, with the, the other books. And like now you put out the, you, you're the author of the PDT cocktail book. Yeah. Is there a Jim Meehan cocktail book? Well, I guess, out? you know, as I was saying before, when I put together this proposal and came to that, that sort of rude awakening that I needed to have my audience, you know, it was a lot easier. A lot of the, the work I do has been focused on the bar, not necessarily focused on my brand right. or my consulting company or something. So um, I thought that the best audience would be for the book, for PDT, and not necessarily just for me. And I also thought about it and said, you know, I'm, I'm 35 years old. I'm going to be in this business hopefully for the rest of my life. And I, and I could write my book in another 10 years when I'm a lot smarter, hopefully, than I am now. Um, and as far as moving forward, I mean, I really, um, I want to... F- I think most people, I guess, I don't want to write another book anytime soon. It's a ton of work. And I feel like if I really do a good job sort of promoting and selling this book, then I'll have the opportunity to write another book when I want to. But I I, I won't, you know, and if I don't sell enough, I won't. So I'm going to focus on this book for probably all the way through Tales or afterwards and really sort of try to try to get it distribution in other countries or try to get it reprinted in different languages. And then and then we'll see what happens. Um, It's. It's not probably as epic as some people would imagine, but uh, my wife and I have been married now for three years, and I like to focus on another cocktail called a child uh, <laughs> in the in the next couple of years. And and I think that you know this is my tenth year in New York, and it's just it's intense here. So I'm sort of I'm going to focus on this book. I'm going to continue to focus on my bar, and then we'll see what happens. Awesome, man! It's been my absolute pleasure having you on the show today uh it's always great talking to you and having you on today talk about the book talk about what's going on in your life talking about pdt it's been really cool you've given me a lot of insight as well as the uh the listeners too um is there anything uh anything that you have going on like as far as any like 
um, promotional uh, events coming up soon? Yeah, I'm going um, on Monday. I'm going to go to Milwaukee to do a, an event with uh, I, I work with a rum brand called Banks. Mm-hmm. So we'll do a Banks event in Milwaukee. And then on Tuesday, we'll do one in Madison where I went to college. So that'll be a sort of big homecoming that I'm really excited about. Uh, I come home Thursday, Friday, I leave for Tucson and Chris lives in Tucson. So we'll be doing uh, a gallery party there. And then on Monday, we'll go together to Phoenix and we'll do Bar Smarts with Pernod Ricard on, oh, yeah. Yeah. on Tuesday. And then we'll go to uh, Portland for a Bar Smarts and a book party on Wednesday. And then I'm back the, the following Thursday. So that's sort of what we're doing before the holidays. I might do, uh, I'm, Craig Shetler and I from Aviary in Chicago are trying to negotiate a potential Aviary book party in Chicago on December 13th. Nice which would be huge. I grew up right outside of Chicago. And then awesome. uh, Pernod and I are doing uh, events in San Francisco and L.A. in January and doing uh, Boston in February. And then, you know, Den- there'll be I mean, the cool thing, or I guess for years this, this whole book, the whole bar show thing is vexing to me because it sort of takes me away from what I'm focused on, which is running my bar. But now that I have a book to sell, I think that all these crazy bar shows all over the world will be a great uh, sort of platform or a great stage for me to sort of talk about the book and sell the book. So, cool. as I said, I'm just going to sort of roll with the uh, roll with what, what what I get. Cool. And is there a website? There, it's funny. We don't have a website at PDT. I guess it's it's good because we're a speakeasy. That so it's sort of don't really need one. We I guess we don't need one. So there's no Twitter feed or Facebook page or, or website, but. Um, the book's available on on Amazon on on BarnesandNoble.com, and Greg Bohm has done a really nice uh, page for it on CocktailKingdom.com. So absolutely, well, thank you so much again for uh, coming on the show today. It's my and pleasure. I, I Thanks for having you me on again here. soon. Uh, tune in next week where we'll have brand rep turned bar owner Jay Zimmerman of Basic Bar in Williamsburg. Till then. Thanks again, Jim. Cheers. Cheers. Yes, higher Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening. Yes, he's high. Man, he's higher than a kite. That cat is high. Look at that look in his eye. Man, I wouldn't lie. The cat's higher than a kite. Boys, he's high. Just look at them two black eyes. You know I wouldn't lie. He's higher than the sky. When you see him tipping, Round and round the block. Dog it, Mom. No, that cat.